you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Pfizer announced it's asking, uh, asking the FDA to authorize its experimental pill for COVID-19. Pfizer's data shows that the pill has significantly cut hospitalizations and deaths for those with COVID-19. With us to talk about this and other COVID news, UCLA School of Public Health professor and epidemiologist Dr. Timothy Brewer. Good morning, Dr. Brewer. Good morning, Larry. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Well, we have a couple of these therapeutic drugs which are showing some promise. Your thoughts about Pfizer now asking for emergency use authorization from the FDA? So I think it makes a lot of sense. The study that they did involved about 1,500 patients. And as you said, there was an 89% reduction among individuals who received the Pfizer medicine compared to those who got placebo. So this is a medicine that's given to people early on in disease within five days of developing symptoms and before they're in the hospital. And the goal is to prevent hospitalizations or deaths. And uh, unlike the monoclonal antibody, which has to be in an infused treatment, right, this is a pill. So this could be much more convenient for people. Exactly. So both this and the Merck medicine are pills. So you can take them in pill form and you don't need to see a doctor to get them. You could get a prescription, pick it up at the pharmacy, presumably just as you would any other approved medication. Now, Pfizer also said uh, that it's going to allow other companies to make its COVID-19 pill in developing countries. Um, Typically, uh, Merck and and Pfizer have agreements which exclude uh, some countries from doing that. Your thoughts on Pfizer making this allowance? Well, I I think it's great. But before we give them too much credit, what they recognize, and I think the same thing exists with Merck as well, is they just don't have the capacity to produce the amount of medicines necessary, right? So it's probably not going to cost them anything, and it makes them look good. But that having been said, I I think it is terrific that they're doing it. Uh, Pfizer signed a deal with a U.N.-backed group uh, to let other manufacturers make its experimental COVID-19 uh, pill. Uh, Merck also saying that uh, it uh, has a pill to treat people 
who get sick with COVID-19. If you have questions for Dr. Brewer, you can call us at 866-893-KPCC. You can also email us. Please include your location and first name, atcomments at kpcc.org. Your questions about COVID-19 as we have shifted our our time to the second hour for our COVID-19 update. And it is now also available as a daily podcast to which you can subscribe wherever you get your audio COVID in L.A. is the name of the podcast, and you'll be able to listen to Dr. Brewer and all the other terrific medical experts that we have on during these segments. Seventy percent of Californians have now received at least one vaccine dose, and that's all Californians, not even just everybody who is eligible for a vaccine. Dr. Brewer, nice milestone to hear about. That's terrific, and it's really wonderful that Everyone who's gone out there and gotten the vaccine, that's the single most important way to protect yourself, those around you you love, and the general community. What do you say to to those who might be hesitating about boosters, you know, particularly with Thanksgiving and the year-end holidays coming up? Your thoughts about the importance of boosters? So I, I understand the confusion around boosters. So if you look at the federal recommendations from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They're saying unless you're at high risk for disease, you're over the age of 65 or you're in a high risk exposure, then you probably don't need to be thinking about a booster at this time. The California Department of Public Health and the L.A. County Department of Public Health have interpreted high-risk exposure to essentially mean everyone. So so I can appreciate why that's a little confusing. I think the bottom line is we know that immunity to coronaviruses wane over time. That means it drops over time. Your risk of becoming infected gets farther, as you get farther out from vaccination, gets higher. Though the vaccines still work very well at preventing serious disease, hospitalization, and death. I think if you are more than six months out from your Pfizer or Moderna or more than two months out from your Jensen, Johnson & Johnson vaccine, I would consider talking to your healthcare, uh, healthcare um, provider, provider yeah. about getting a booster. Uh, Renee emails us, uh, and please include your location as well as your name. Renee asks, uh, Hong Kong is a high-density city-state. How did they so far keep COVID-19 at bay? Was it strict public health measures, or does the population have some sort of immunity from a prior coronavirus that might have been mild but protects them from SARS-CoV-2? So Hong Kong is probably a combination of factors. Uh, one of which is uh, not just potential immunity from prior coronaviruses. So you remember the original SARS in 2002-2003 began in Guangdong province and then took off in, in Hong Kong, then disseminated around the world. But they had a lot of public health experience with coronaviruses. So Hong Kong very early on had an aggressive contact tracing program They went immediately to mask wearing, highly accepted in the population, and and a very effective public health response, including quarantine and lockdown. So I think all of these things together contributed to the response in Hong Kong, Taiwan, 
and some other places in the Western Pacific. Dave in Redondo Beach says, My wife and I are considering going to a small Thanksgiving gathering this year. Everyone has been vaccinated. Uh, Some have boosters. Kids have their first doses. How safe is a gathering like this? I think very safe. I, I think, Dave, you're doing everything you should be doing. If you have any concerns at all, take advantage of the fact that we live in Southern California and hold as much of those activities outside as possible. The risk of transmission outdoors is extremely low. Um, If you're at all concerned when you're indoors, you could be wearing masks. But I, I think if everybody's asymptomatic and vaccinated, there's no no reason you have to do that. All right, Dave. Have a terrific Thanksgiving. 866-893-KPECC. You can also email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Please include your location. Carolyn Santa Monica tweets at AirTalk, Is it true that if you have fibromyalgia, you cannot catch COVID? I understand we don't produce cytokines to speak of, which keeps us sick, but apparently immune to COVID. Um, Carol, thank you for that question. Dr. Brewer. So, Carol, um, I'm not aware of any data to, to support that. So I would recommend if you have any chronic illness like fibromyalgia that you get vaccinated right away if you're if you're not already vaccinated and if you have any concerns discuss them with your healthcare provider but I'm aware of no chronic disease that protects anyone from becoming infected with SARS-CoV-2. Well, in fibromyalgia, I mean, I, I think of that as, as an illness that there's still so much we don't really understand about. Um, it, it, is that true, Dr. Brewer? So, so not my exact area of expertise, but you are correct, Larry, that fibromyalgia is a syndrome. And, and so in that sense, we don't necessarily know what causes it in most people. And, and it may have different causes in, in different people. But it is, it is a collection of, of symptoms that results in a, a syndrome. Steve tweets at AirTalk, with the Delta variant, how many days from presumed exposure does one start showing noticeable symptoms? And how does this overlap with the new oral uh, medications from Pfizer and Merck? So uh, the Delta variant is more transmissible. That means it spreads more easily from person to person but it doesn't really change the progress of of disease. So most people will develop symptoms within five to seven days. Um, When you tend to get really sick, tends to occur around 10 to, to 14 days after you've been infected. The studies that were done with both the Merck and the Pfizer uh, drugs were giving it to people who had become symptomatic within five days. So, so these drugs should be very effective in the time that most people will develop symptoms. Wendy in Irvine emailed us, my eight-year-old granddaughter will be traveling with her 90-year-old great-grandparents for a holiday trip to Northern California. They'll be together for five days. She's gotten her first vaccine dose, but is there a recommended type of COVID test she should take before the trip to help us decide whether it's safe for her to go? 
Well, I think if you're concerned at all, any of the nucleic acid PCR-based tests would be reasonable. So the the antigen tests, the over-the-counter antigen tests, are not quite as reliable as the PCR-based tests. So if you were concerned, that would be the way to go. But getting the vaccination is a terrific thing to do. 866-893-KPECC. You can also uh, email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Roz in Long Beach says, I'm a doctor and I wondered what the criteria for prescribing the new Pfizer COVID pill uh, would be and can it be prescribed by a primary care doctor? So um, once it's authorized by the Food and Drug Administration, any licensed healthcare practitioner who is licensed to prescribe meds will be will be able to prescribe it. Uh, we don't know what the criteria are yet. The FDA has not reviewed the drugs. I assume they'll be based similar to what came out of the trials, which means it will be individuals who are at higher risk for serious disease, hospitalization, or death if infected with COVID-19 and who have been symptomatic for less than five days. 866-893-KPECC. You can tweet at AirTalk. You can post on the AirTalk Facebook page, or you can email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Please include your first name and your location. We're talking with UCLA School of Public Health professor and epidemiologist Dr. Timothy Brewer. He served on advisory or review committees for the World Health Organization, the NIH, and the CDC. 866-893-KPCC. JP in Santa Barbara is wondering about sort of casual transmission of COVID-19 and just a passing encounter. Like if you're sitting at a stoplight and, you know, there's an open car next to you, is it possible for someone in a setting like that where where you're a few feet away from someone to transmit COVID in a, a short encounter like that? So possible but unlikely. So transmission will occur based on a series of factors. So one is proximity. The closer you are to someone, the more likely transmission is to occur. And and basically, every three feet you move away from someone drops your risk of transmission by about 80% or more. So being six feet away is better than three feet. The second is time. So the longer you're together, the more likely transmission is going to occur. The CDC uses a a criteria of 15 minutes to define a a close contact. Third is going to be mitigating factors. So are you both wearing masks? Masks reduce both the ability of someone to get COVID and someone to release COVID into the environment. And then things like ventilation, outdoors, much less likely than indoors. And then finally, just how infectious is the person? We know that 20% of people account for about 80% of the transmission of SARS-CoV-2. So most people, even when they have COVID, are unlikely to transmit it to others. So two cars going by each other with open windows, I wouldn't worry about that. Well, and do we understand why the 20% are more apt to spread than the other 80%? 
No, we don't. And we actually saw this with the first the first COVID, uh, uh, not COVID, excuse me, SARS outbreak in 2002, 2003 as well, where they were called super spreaders. Yeah. Probably has something to do with both the combination of viral load and the ability of people to generate infectious particles into the environment around them. In case you just joined us, Pfizer announcing within the hour that it's asking the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to give emergency use authorization to its experimental pill for treating COVID-19. This would likely set the stage for the usage of that pill within the next few weeks. The company filing comes as new infections are rising again, driven mainly by hotspots in states where there's colder weather, which has driven more Americans indoors. Also, these hotspots tend to be in areas with lower um, percentages of people being vaccinated. There have been a handful of pills that have recently shown uh, some significant cuts in hospitalizations and deaths among people infected with COVID-19. Uh, Pfizer's now the first one here in the U.S. to be submitted for FDA emergency use authorization. 866-893-KPECC. Dr. Timothy Brewer with us on AirTalk. Um, Carlin Sherman Oaks tweets at AirTalk, what would a typical dose of the COVID pill be? Is this a, a single dosage or recurring uh, doses of the tablets? So we'll we'll have to to wait and see. Um, I would have to look at the, the Pfizer press release again, but my memory, it was multiple pills twice a day for, for several days, but I, I don't remember the exact number of pills or days off the top of my head, but it was not a single pill. It was multiple pills more than once a day for for several days. Uh, just by the way, the uh, drug would be sold under the name Paxlovid. Uh, just so if you hear that name in the future, that's what we're, we're talking about. That's Pfizer's drug. And all of the authorized treatments against COVID-19 that have been approved by the FDA so far require either uh, an IV or an injection from a health professional. This is not something you can get to this point in tablet form. That's why the potential authorization of Pfizer's COVID pill, Paxlovid, is is such a, a big deal. Dave in Venice emailed us, over the weekend I read the Netherlands is going back to a light lockdown as infections rise, and they have an over 80% vax rate. So what does it tell us, even if the U.S. gets an 80% rate, are mask mandates ever going to go away? So hard to know, not surprising. Europe in general is, is seeing substantial rises across an, a number of countries. We know the CDC has put a number of European countries on their highest risk list. And, and that's likely related to both the colder temperatures, the lower humidity and the people spending more time indoors. I think the real question will be what happens with serious disease, hospitalization, and death. So we we do know that over time, we do see a rise in infection, even among vaccinated individuals. But the protection against serious disease, hospitalization, and death has remained very strong. So hopefully, we'll continue to see those, those benefits. 
Sarah in Pomona emailed us, For the holidays, does serving food buffet-style open up a pathway for spread? Would it make a difference if the buffet is outside as opposed to indoors? Well, definitely. So anything outdoors will reduce transmission risk um, just because you have so much more ventilation. Um, I'm not aware of any data to suggest that buffets are worse other than maybe they bring people close together for longer periods of time. But if you're worried about that, you could have people space out or or wear masks when they're not eating or drinking and make sure that they're sitting farther apart when they sit down to eat. Kathy in San Gabriel asks, when are people who are experiencing long-haul COVID symptoms safe to visit? So most people are, are not infectious within 10 to 14 days of when they get sick. There are some data to show that in immunocompromised individuals, you can still detect virus farther out, but that's very unusual. So the long COVID people, unfortunately, are ill, but they're not contagious. They, they don't have active virus that they can spread to, to someone else. L.A. County public health officials have, have warned that even those fully vaccinated, if they're if their second uh, vaccination was early in the year, that they could be vulnerable in a winter surge of COVID-19. This is part of of the public health effort to try and and get people uh, who are eligible a booster dose of the vaccine. Your thoughts about that? I mean, do do you think that we are likely to see more fully vaccinated people with breakthrough cases late in the year? I think we will see more people with breakthrough cases as they get farther out from vaccination, just because that's consistent with the data so far. But what you need to remember, Larry, is the vast majority of those breakthrough infections in vaccinated individuals are mild to moderate disease. So vaccinated people are five to seven times less likely to become infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus. They're about 11 times less likely to get sick enough to be in the hospital and anywhere from 10 to 15 times less likely to die if they get very sick. So vaccinations remain tremendously helpful and beneficial. All right. And Inez in Redondo Beach says, I have latent tuberculosis. I'd read that the COVID-19 virus can awaken TB bacteria in your lungs so that you would have to fight both at the same time. Um, Should people be getting tested for TB as well as COVID? No, latent latent tuberculosis is, is not a risk factor at all for serious COVID disease or for COVID causing necessarily reactivation of tuberculosis. If you have latent TB, you should definitely talk with your health care provider as to whether or not you should take any kind of treatment for that. So there are effective treatments for latent tuberculosis infection. All right, Dr. Brewer, thank you so much as always. Wonderful to have you with us again today on Air Talk. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.